You didn't hit the button like eight times to get nine things that you ordered and wanted only one? No? Nobody got the Lexus with the big bow yet? No? Nothing? You're all just like, any good sales anywhere? Any good God stories? Remember God? Yeah. <laughs> you celebrate him at Christmas? You all right? Is it too hot in here? I, I, I turn the heat down. Shall we allow coffee in here just one day today? No. 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 All right, I'm going to pray. We're going to get into it. God, I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for mercy. I want to thank you that you are our Father. I want to thank you for life, the life that you give us, God. I want to thank you for new life. I just pray a blessing upon these three young lives that you've brought into our family, and especially for McKenna this morning, as now she, she begins her journey with you, God, as, as, a, as a member of a community of faith. We just continue to pray for Mike and Marianne that your grace and your strength will always be upon them. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning to hear from your word, to be ministered to by your spirit, and to gain encouragement from each other. So, God, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, let's do this. I have my little thing. Isaiah, chapter 44. Last week, it took us a while to get to the scripture. We're starting right out of the gate. Isaiah writes, for I will pour, and these are the words that God is speaking through Isaiah, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry grounds. I will pour out my spirit on your offering and my blessing on your descendants. Isaiah is writing during a time when the people are having a tough go of it. They are actually in exile. And their spirits are kind of low. And they begin to question God's promises. Is God really going to uh, end the line of Abraham now? Is he going to negate on his promise that the descendants of Abraham will be as as numerous as the stars? And so they're, they're questioning and they're worried. And, and the, this is a, a heaviness on their hearts. But the answer is no. God is going to pour out his spirit on his people. The same spirit that hovered over the sea at creation, that same power, that same authority is going to be poured out upon his people. And so where that question is, if God has has, uh, given them over to destruction, where that question is in their hearts will finally be answered. And the nations, the nations that are asking, (laughs) did their God actually abandon them? Look at them now. For once and and for all, that those questions will be answered. And God is going to show himself strong by giving his people his spirit. This This is talking about a new day for his people. A day when he is going to take them from death and he's going to bring them to a place of life. And the Spirit of God will bring restoration. In fact, the Spirit of God is going to bring restoration even to those things that caused them to be in exile in the first place. Their disobedience, their arrogance. This is about spiritual restoration, which will show itself in the external realm, in the world. So God is not going to leave his people. But he's going to pour out 
his spirit upon them. Isaiah knows that in order, in order for the people to make it, in order for the people to get out of this mess, it's only going to be by the grace of God. They cannot fix themselves. And it's the Spirit of God that's going to come upon them and do it for them. And so the people are getting something they really don't deserve. And that's God's grace. God's mercy. And it's God's Spirit. Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart. Put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel knows, and he's speaking from a place of understanding, that the people's rebellion against God, the sin in people's lives, is not just in what you can see. It's not just in the external manifestations of rebellion and sin. There's something much deeper taking place inside of them. And he calls it, and God calls it, they have a heart of stone. There's something wrong inside of them that's broken. And so what's happening is happening at a very core level. Coldness and its insensitivity and its lifelessness. Those all happen in here and manifest themselves out here. And God is calling them out on it. And God knows their problem. And God wants to fix it. And he, the only way he sees how to fix it is a heart transplant. This is very different than in Deuteronomy 30 when God talks about circumcising their hearts so that they can follow him. The problem has gotten so bad now, he's just got to pluck it out and put a new one in. And then he will pour out his spirits. Again, put a new spirit in them. Something new is about to happen to them. And so we have this heart, and I love the way it talks about uh, a heart of stone is going to give way to a heart of flesh because God is using the idea of humanity to, to talk about that. You know, you've met people that have a cold heart or a stone-cold heart. There's just something about them. There's an ugliness that goes beyond looks or anything like that, but it's just an ugliness from deep down inside. God says, I'm going to put that, I'm going to take that stone-cold heart out, and I'm going to put a heart of flesh. It's going to be a heart of sensitivity. And he's talking in human terms. But then he talks about the spirit. And the new spirit that he is going to give them is not your soul. The new spirit that he is promising his people is his Holy Spirit. Poured out upon them. Given to them. And I would even say it is given to us. And so we have the hearts or the minds. God's going to change the way we think. He's going to pour out his spirit on us. Give us a new spirit. And it's then, it's then that the people will finally become obedient to the things that God has called them to. It's then that the people will begin to follow God. Do you, do you see, what's, see what's happening here? We cannot be obedient to the things that God has called us to on our own. And he knows it. You cannot be obedient to the Lord on your own. But it's only when he begins to work inside of you. It's only when the spirit of the Lord comes upon you and begins to change you from the inside out. Then you can begin to follow the things of God. 
then you can be obedient to what God has called you to. That is the only equation that works. The Spirit of the Lord working inside you, and now you can walk in the things that the Lord has called you to. But again, we see that it's God's work in you. It's God's work in me. Let's go see Joel. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Uh, In chapter 2 of Joel, uh, God is talking about how he's going to restore physical things to his people. Talking about giving them uh, oil and and, and repairing their land from what the locust has, has eaten. But he wants to take it even deeper than just material possessions. Understand that during this time, when, when things were going well in your life, it was, it was an uh, indication that God was pleased with you, that you were following in the Lord's footsteps. But God wants to take it much deeper than just material blessing. He wants to move beyond just the outward stuff, and he wants to get On the inside, the grace of the Spirit is going to transform people inside out. And it's the Lord's work that can only cause that to happen. His presence is going to be shown in a much deeper and much clearer way than just rain and crops. And when the gift of the Spirit will come upon His people, they will open up to the the gift of prophecy. And we all get freaked out when we hear of, of the prophetic and we all think it's about just telling the future. Prophecy 101 says this, encourage the brothers and sisters. Speak words of encouragement to them. That's the gift of the prophetic. And you know what? Everyone here can walk in it. Everyone here should walk in it. And so God is going to pour out the gift of his spirit. And in that pouring out, this higher gift of prophecy will come upon his people. And everyone has the opportunity to receive. Jeremiah would talk about from the least to the greatest. You see, and even in, the, in the Joel's writing, in the prophet Joel's writing, he understands that, that moral living does not create a spiritual restoration. That moral living doesn't create a spiritual reconciliation with God. It's only spiritual restoration that allows us to live in any type of godly morality. Because it's the Spirit of the Lord that produces these things in us. When God changes us, changes us here, out here follows suit. Joel knows it. And so the Lord has told him, I will pour out my Spirit. And no one is exempt. Sons and daughters means young kids will prophesy. Old men We'll we'll dream dreams. Don, have you had a dream lately? You have. Young. The young will have visions. Jeff, any visions? The Lord wants to pour out his spirit on his people. I just picked on those guys because I could. But men, women, children... The Lord pouring out his spirit upon his people. Things are supposed to happen. Things are supposed to happen. His gifts 
shine bright out into the world. These three prophets are talking about a time when the Spirit of the Lord will come and begin to change his people, not only on an individual level, but on a humanity level. And the Spirit of the Lord resides in each one of you. Do you, do you understand that? That's, that's a very simple truth. The Spirit of the Lord resides in every follower of Jesus Christ. The same spirit that Isaiah spoke of is inside of you. The same spirit that Ezekiel spoke of is inside of you. The same spirit that Joel speaks of, it's inside of you. That same power, that same authority is inside of you. Matthew. Matthew writes, I baptize you with water for repentance, the words of John the Baptist. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Let's set this up for a minute. John the Baptist, he's a freaky guy. He eats bugs and he wears, he wears funky clothes and a weird belt. Peter would be all over him right now, but that's who he was. I believe that if they had it back then, he'd even have tattoos. That's just my own personal bias, but I really think, and so here he comes, and he is the guy that's ushering in the Messiah. He's the one going forth. He's the one calling people to repentance. He's the one telling them the kingdom of God is at hand, and he is baptizing, and he's baptizing for repentance. He is aware of what God is doing, and he's aware of where he is in God's plan. And he has gotten off the seat of his pants, and he is actually doing something. Because the Spirit of the Lord is in him, and it's moving him to action. The Spirit of the Lord has changed him from the inside, and he cannot help but to do what God has called him to do. This is John the Baptist, and he knows that the Messiah's ministry is going to be way more powerful than anything that he can muster on his own. In fact, he tells the people, man, someone, someone is coming. And he's way more powerful. Right there, powerful. Way more powerful. And it's just not to do, has not, it just not has, it's not just about strength. It's about authority. Because if you are a master, a rabbi, it would be below your lowest disciple to carry your sandals or to take your sandals off. And so for the one that is not even worthy to take off the sandals of the, of the master means that person is the lowest of the low. You can't get any lower in society. And this is how John sees himself in the eyes of the Messiah. So it's not just about power. It's about the authority. And John's baptism is with water, a symbolic, a symbolic tradition, a symbolic ritual. But it's deep with meaning, deep with meaning. But the one coming, the Messiah that's coming, Jesus, he is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Water is the outward sign. The Holy Spirit is the inward reality. It's the catalyst for change on the inside. The Holy Spirit is going to bring about the transformation. The Holy Spirit is going to burn away all the garbage in our lives and purify God's repentant people. 
This is the job of the Spirit. He's going to do some house cleaning. And we've seen it all through the Old Testament. It's been God's plan all along to pour out his Spirit in huge ways. Not just on a few single people, but on all of his people. The Spirit is going to put everything that is good and right and holy in its proper place before the Lord. And he's going to take all of the garbage and the junk and the brokenness and take it out and it's going to be burned. And that you can, I promise you that if you open yourself up to the Spirit, he will do that in your life on a personal level. Now wait for it. Here it goes. Here comes the inward work of the Holy Spirit. The inward journey of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that will lead you to peace. I feel ashamed almost as I was preparing this that I've never really talked about peace except at Christmas. And so we always relate this idea of Advent and, and you know, hope and peace and love and joy only around Christmas time. This isn't a Christmas issue. This is, a, this is a spiritual discipline that we're called to, to walk in the peace of the Lord. Peace is not the absence of tension or conflict. Peace is the presence of the Lord. Peace is not the absence of tension or conflict. Peace is the presence of the Lord. And in the Hebrew, they would call it shalom. The shalom of God. And when the Spirit gets inside of you and begins to churn around inside of you, when you start to get this idea of what the shalom of God really is, you start to live it, and then it starts to manifest itself out in the world. Shalom is about wholeness, about health, about welfare, about safety, about soundness, about tranquility, prosperity, fullness, rest, harmony. It goes way beyond just peace. Peace is in there, but it's much, much wider. This is what God wants for his people. This is what the Spirit will cause in your life if you open yourself up to it. Because peace is not the absence of tension or conflict, but it's the presence of the Lord in the believer's life. And too many people look for those things out in the world. They look for it in, in relationships and in people and jobs and money and the bigger car and the nicer house and the, whatever it is. Here's a very simple truth I want to share with you. To find lasting peace. To find those things, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, fullness, rest. To find those things in a lasting way is only when you look to the Lord and allow the Spirit to indwell within you, to dwell within you, and to do the work that only the Spirit can do. You're not going to find it in a relationship. You're not going to find it in your job. You're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it in technology. You're not going to find it on a vacation. The millionaire was asked, how much, how much money is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. The world cannot give to you the peace that your soul longs for. See, the, the shalom of God as it begins to take over your heart, it begins to transform you. You begin to reject 
the, the things that the world values. You begin to reject the things that the world says are important, the lifestyles. You begin to, you begin to stop looking for your security and well-being by manipulating other people or by manipulating community. Because your focus is something that's very, very different. In fact, here's the hard truth of it. Those followers of Christ who have opened up their lives to the Spirit of God and and given themselves over to seeking the shalom of God are going to come into conflict with the world because the world is looking for it in a completely different way and God is calling you to something very different. You see, peace, peace is about newness. Peace is about transformation. Sometimes the world just gets a little funky when people change on the inside. We like, even, even if, you're, if you have a group of friends and you're kind of a jerk, they like that you're a jerk. I mean, I was one of those people. I had a group of friends before Jesus got a hold of me. I'm not saying I'm not a jerk now, but I'm just a jerk for Jesus. But, but I, was, I was that guy. I mean, in fact, the guy who prayed me into the kingdom of God, he went to his pastor one day, and I worked with him. I was a mechanic at the time. And his pastor asked him, you know, how's the new job going? Well, it's, a, it's great, great group of guys, except this one guy is such a jerk. That would have been me. And so for the next two years, they prayed every Sunday. For me, how dare they? And it took two years before I would walk with Christ. But I, I got off on a rabbit trail, I apologize. But in saying that, even if you're a jerk, your friends still like you. They don't like newness. I lost a lot of friends when Jesus got a hold of my life. Not because they got mad at me, but just because it was different. Something was different. Does it freak you out? Does it freak you out that God has called you into something new? Does it, does it make you nervous that you might have to leave some of your old behaviors behind? Does it make you nervous that you might have to leave some of the old patterns that you used to live in? Does it make you nervous that you might have to give up some of those old loyalties or even your favorite fears and your favorite angers? It shouldn't make you nervous at all. The Spirit of the Lord isn't about nervousness. The Spirit of the Lord is about freedom. Grace, the grace of God and his peace transforms everything. It transforms everything. It transforms your faith. It transforms your life and ultimately will transform the world. It brings about spiritual wholeness, spiritual health, spiritual tranquility, spiritual rest, spiritual harmony. All of those things happen on the inside. And when the shalom, the peace of God takes hold of you in here and it just turns around, it can't help but to shine itself from the out, from the inside out and it shines into the world around us. This is what we're called to as followers of Jesus. Jesus at the end of his life. Is that me? Jesus at the end of his life, he said this to his disciples. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. These words were spoken in the context of the Last Supper. 
They were spoken in the context of the communion table. And just, just so happens today that we have a communion table. We come to this table as the people of God, moving toward another reality, a new reality, a spirit-filled reality. It's time that we get our minds off of ourselves and begin to focus on the promises of Christ. We begin, we should be beginning to see things in the world, things like the, the way the world defines success and the way the world defines survival or the way the world defines your reputation, we, we should begin to see that those things are just garbage. They will be burned in the fire. They will not make it. But that we would walk in a new reality. The communion table, we become aware that the abundant life that Jesus wants to give us isn't found out there, but it's found by the Spirit of God at work within you. There in lies the abundant life. Coming to this table, you should be putting aside fear because there is no fear. In fact, fear is the opposite of peace. Fear is the absence of the Spirit in your life. Fear is us not being confident that God is going to keep his promises Fear is us not being confident that God's in control everything. Of everything. Not just the good thing. Just the, not just the, the easy going. Not just the skating through. The hard things. When we begin to look at it that way, I know that's a difficult idea to get your head around. Because the one that you have to look to and pray to is the one that can fix it just like this. But just understand that for whatever reason, God is working something in you. The table is about the people of God coming here as a symbolic way to say that we are in the process transformation, that we would desire to walk in the newness of the Spirit, that we want to put aside of the world what the world thinks is important. We want to focus on the God life. You see, the peace of the Lord is not for the faint of hearts, because the peace of the Lord is something radical, and it's something revolutionary, and it could get you into hot water out in the world. Read Corinthians uh, 11-ish, first, I don't know, when Paul goes through all of the things that he went through. This guy's in the will of God, okay? Paul, he wrote a lot of this book here. He's in the will of God. He gets shipwrecked. He gets beaten. He's got no clothes. He's got clothes. He's cold. He's hungry. He's getting chased around. He's getting rocks thrown at him. He's getting whipped. You think it's easy being in the will of God? No the Spirit of God will cause in you peace of the Lord, shalom of God. And you will walk in wholeness and you will walk in rest and you will walk in harmony and you will walk in peace and you will walk in soundness of mind and body and you will walk in, in even in prosperity. And I don't mean that you're going to get a new house and a nice car, but spiritual prosperity. This is what God has called us to. 
the peace of the Lord is not for the faint of heart. And so as we come to this communion table this morning, I'm going to ask Andrew, he's going to play for us the piano. As you come to the table this morning, where in your life do you lack peace? Where is it in your life that the peace of God does not reign? And I will tell you that if there is no peace in that area of, the, of your life, it's because that you have somehow put up a wall from the Spirit of the Lord working there. That you have decided you're going to handle it, you're going to fix it, you're going to get her done. How's that working for you? And so I was thinking, you know, I was going to say, maybe some of you need to repent of that area in your life where you have shut out the Spirit. You've decided not to listen to His voice. But then I realized we all need to repent of that in our lives. There is not one person, not one follower of Jesus that could say, I've got this all together. I'm good. In fact, you don't even have to pray for me anymore. We all have that thing in our life that we have chose, made the decision not to listen to the Spirit of God and go at it on our own. And because of that, we lack wholeness. We lack rest. We lack harmony. We lack all of the things that God wants to pour out on his people. We lack the newness that the, of the life that he wants for each one of us. And so maybe we all need a little time to repent. And as as John was baptizing in the water as a symbol of, the, of repentance. Maybe, maybe use the Christmas tree this morning and you write something, you write that thing down that you were going to finally give over to the Lord, allow the Spirit to come and work in your life as a symbol that you've made a decision, you've made a stand, you've put a stake in the ground today. And the peace of God is not just going to be a Christmas thing, the peace of God is going to be something that you walk in every day. All year, 365 days a year, for as many years as you have left on this earth. And he will transform you day by day by day by day. Called sanctification. And the peace of the Lord, which goes beyond anything that we can understand, will reign in your heart, but you have to open yourself up to the work of the Spirit, and that may not be easy. Jesus never said it was going to be easy, but he did say it would be worth it. And so, Andrew, take your time. If you need to spend some time at the cross, if you need to spend some time as a symbol, writing something down that you're giving over to the Lord, uh, when everybody has taken the, the cup and the bread, we'll take communion together.